Dr. Angel does not need an introduction here. He's been here many times and precious friend and uh, been at college <coughs> since the beginning. Amen. We will always, Dr. Hall and myself and Brother Angel met and we talked a little bit about, I told Brother Angel, I said, we, all of us, all three of us gave our lives to the college, won't we just die with it? And so we, we are. We're going to be over the thing and making sure that it's solid all the way to the end. So uh, you don't have to worry about it. And I, I love Amen. him, and I appreciate him being here. Doc, I'm preaching to you. Amen. Thank you, Brother Gomez. It's been a blessing to be at the meeting. Um, I have to sit down there and wonder how many more we'll have. And it's not doom and gloom, but it's just reality like the man just preached. So I hope you're soaking this up. This is rich. It's been wonderful. And the messages last night, just outstanding. And Brother Nichols, you've just added quite a bit to the meeting with the singing. It comes from the heart, and it's just like a message in song. It's like a sermon in song. You got to preach far more than any of the rest of us. Amen. But uh, it's been good. Thank you, Brother Gomez, for the truthful comments that you just made. And uh, if you if you get offended by that, I, I don't I don't figure you out. I don't figure you out. So, got to face truth, face the facts, and that was right on target. I don't want to mess up with the spirit of the evening, so let's go right away to Revelation chapter two tonight. Revelation chapter two, and uh, find that passage beginning with verse number eight. When you find it, I I'll have you stand in honor of God's word if you're able to do that, and we'll read two or three verses here. Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse number 8. I really don't want to preach this message tonight. But Labor Day, I was in the yard laboring and uh, just praying about what to preach as the meeting was coming closer. And, and uh, God put this text on my heart as clear as I'm talking to you right now. So I know I'm doing what God wants me to do tonight. Verse number eight says, and, the, and under the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And I want to take the title tonight from verse number 10 and preach for just a little bit on the subject of faithful unto death. Faithful unto death. Father in heaven, I pray that you'll help us tonight. Thank you for what we just heard. Saddens our heart. It does create a, I believe, righteous indignation in us. And Father, we just pray that you will have your way in this message. I give my mind to you. I give my emotions to you. I give my spirit to you. I give my words to you. Would you please control me? Would you please fill us all with your spirit tonight, both speaker and listener, so that we can have ears to hear what the spirit would say to us this evening. And thank you for this meeting. Thank you for what it's meant to many of us pastors over the years to come here and just be a part of the environment and atmosphere of this church and to hear so many great messages and 
helpful truths that have been preached from this pulpit. And I pray that tonight, Lord, you'll help us again. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name and amen. Thank you. Be seated. The seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor are, are an interesting study. You know that Jesus is the author of all seven letters and he identifies himself using different characteristics uh, in each letter to the different churches. And the format of the letters is, is the same in every letter. You have the introduction and then you have the content, and then you have the conclusion. And it's that way through all seven letters and there's a lot to learn from these letters. Smyrna was a large and important port city on the western side of Asia Minor. It was approachable by good roads. It had a good harbor, good harbor facilities, and it was surrounded by rich farmland. As a result, Smyrna was a very rich and proud city. And you know that Rome was the empire. Rome was the superpower of the day, and Smyrna gave its loyalty to the empire and never wavered in that loyalty. The city was often rewarded by Rome for their deeds of loyalty. Smyrna was headquarters for a cult-like group known as Emperor Worship. A large temple dedicated to the Emperor Tiberius was indication of the city's close allegiance to the Roman Empire, the government. Smyrna was one of the grand cities of all Asia Minor, had numerous temples and public buildings that were beautifully adorned and decorated, creating the look of a, a thriving and growing city. And here in this city, city well financed, a city well favored because of its obvious connection to Rome, to the government, was a church. A local assembly of born-again, baptized believers called out from the world to worship God in spirit and in truth. A church about which Jesus had nothing negative to say. The city of Smyrna might not have recognized that group of Christ followers. We don't know how small or large it was. And I'm honest with you, it really doesn't matter. Because they were following Christ, Jesus knew them, and he knew them well. And brethren, I say tonight, pity the city that has no church. No matter how grand and rich, with buildings and parks and businesses and centers of art and entertainment, if a city has no church, it has no light set upon a hill, shining the way to God of grace and truth. And if a poor and run-down city with no beautiful parks and no centers of entertainment and art and no businesses that are thriving, if a poor and run-down city has a Bible-believing assembly, that city is far richer than they realize. To this church in Smyrna, Jesus Christ writes a letter, and from this letter, I think we could get some help for our churches in this day, and I'm just going to preach the outline that's used in every letter. First of all, I want you to notice the introduction in verse number eight. The Bible says, and unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these things saith the first and the last which was dead 
and is alive. Jesus introduces himself as the one which is the first and the last. He who was dead and is alive. And he introduces himself as the one with power over death and the grave. And as a child of God, there is nothing more comforting than realizing the one we belong to, the one we worship, the one we serve, has power over death and the grave. What knowledge of victory we should live with as God's children. The Bible says that death is the last enemy. And for the child of God, the last enemy has been destroyed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus, brethren, has destroyed our last enemy, then any other enemy we face before the last one has no power over us either. I sat on the bed two years ago with my hand on the Alzheimer's diseased body of my dad. Reading 1 Corinthians 15 and watched as that last enemy came his way. Death was hovering over that weak and emaciated body and mind like a hulking linebacker that has a quarterback in his sight gloating already in the coming sack. And then, as dad's last breath was exhaled and death started to shout the victory, the power of the resurrected Christ, blindsided death and victory came for my dad. The power of death was kicked out of that room and the angels carried dad to the land that is fairer than day. He that believeth in me Though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Jesus, the head of this church in Smyrna, introduced himself as the one with power over death. The one who was dead and is alive. And there's a reason for that introduction. Number two in the outline in every church letter is the content. Jesus tells them in the content of this letter what he knows about them and what they need to know. In verse number nine, we learn what Jesus knew about the church at Smyrna. And he begins the content of the letter by telling them that he knew there were, I know thy works. And you realize, brethren, you know this, that in every letter, all seven letters, the first thing Jesus said to each of those churches was, I know thy works. The first thing he said, you know, to all those under grace people, who criticize independent Baptists for overemphasizing working and doing and serving at church, maybe they should take notice that every church Jesus wrote to, he started with, I know thy works. It must be that Jesus is fairly interested in the works of a church. And it makes perfect sense 
One of the reasons that a city is blessed, if it has a Bible-believing, Bible-practicing church within range of that city, one of the reasons it's blessed is because the works of that church, the outreach of that church, the door-knocking of that church, the lighthouse that that church is. I have to ask tonight, preacher, is your church working? Is your church working? You know, it's without question that we have seen a change in how our churches carry out the works we are used to doing. I applaud every attempt to carry on with some kind of community outreach and soul winning that pastors have, have attempted during this, this crazy time. What concerns me is, like you say, preacher, it seems that some pastors have welcomed And even enjoy the disruption to the works of the church. Now, brethren, I can't answer for you. I can only answer for the church that God's put me in. But when are your buses running again? When are you going out to the streets again? You know, if we cannot do everything, surely that doesn't mean that we do nothing. Figure it out. Come up with an idea. But stay busy working for Jesus Christ. We have an evangelist out of our church. Many of you know him. Named Scott Netterville. And like all evangelists, I suppose, during this time, he was at home. He parked his fifth wheel in our, in our parking lot there at the church, hooked up to the electric and the water. And he was there and he helped out at the church. He preached some for me and taught some classes and but I could just tell, he, the longer he sat, the more it wore on him. Yep. And finally, one day, he just said, popped his head at the office. He said, you got a couple minutes? I said, come on in. And he sat down and he said, he said I got to do something. He said, I got to do something. He said, years ago, I was with a church down in Mississippi that, that gave away free Bibles. And they would pull into the parking lot of a strip mall and just put up a big banner free Bibles. And he said, people would pull in and get a, get a Bible, come by and they would hand him a Bible and then try to witness to him. And, and he said, preacher, I really believe I'd like to call some churches and see if we could raise some money. And, and uh, I want to go do that in some churches. And I said, well, why go do it in churches? Let's do it here. And so he got a hundred Bibles free from somewhere. I forget where. And uh, he had called Austin Marriott. Austin's great. Made a couple of banners free Bibles, and he got some PVC pipe and put the pipe together and built the frame for those banners in the back of his pickup truck. And I was out, I was out of town, and he was, took a couple of our staff guys and went over to the, uh, the strip mall there on Highway 50 where the Walmart, some of those places are, and he parked there in the parking lot. In an hour and a half time, they gave out 10 Bibles, had three people saved. Yeah, some of the people that pulled up to get a free Bible were driving cars that were falling apart. Some of them pulled up in brand new pickups. One pulled up in a brand new Mustang convertible, 20-something years of age, told him I'd never had a Bible. Are you listening? In the United States of America, never had a Bible. So we were rejoicing. And he said, and he got all fired up. He said, I mean, I'm going to call some churches that support me and see if they give a special offering for, for the Bibles. And I said, well, Brother Scott, we'll help you. And, and that was, the, I think, on a Thursday afternoon, I was at the church. It was Thursday morning, I was at the church. And 
And uh, I can't remember why I needed to talk to him, but I called him. He said, I said, where are you? And he said, I'm standing over here at Lowe's. And I could tell he was emotional. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm crying. Standing in the middle of the aisle here at Lowe's. He said, let me get out of here. I'll come see you. And so we hung up and a few minutes later, he pulled into the church and came into the office there. And he said, preacher, he said, the reason I was emotional and weeping there in that middle of the aisle at Lowe's is we had uh, last night, last night was a Wednesday night. He said, the church in Mississippi that did the Bible giveaway heard about us doing it. And he said, uh, the pastor got the deacons together afterwards and said, hey, why don't we give a couple thousand dollars to help Brother Netterville with the purchase of these Bibles? They said, sure. And then one elderly man said, well, why don't we just do it all? He said, well, how much would it be? He said, oh, about $13,400 to get the Bibles and New Testaments he wants. And the men voted that night, and he got the call while he was standing in the Lowe's aisle at the, at super, at the Lowe's Center saying, Brother Netterville, we're sending you a check for $13,000 to take care of all those Bibles. And Brother, I'm going to tell you something. Listen, God is not through. Here about three Saturdays ago, I said, man, Scott, let's go give away, let's go do that Bible thing. So we went down to Meadowview Shopping Center there, Brother Woodard, some of you fellas know where that was, there near Kankakee, and pulled in there, and we were there for a couple hours, I think we gave away 14 Bibles, I had the privilege to win a 24-year-old young man to the Lord, same story, new vehicles, old vehicles, people who were broken and down and out, people who had money pulling in there, handing out Bibles, invitations to church, I'm just saying, look, are your, is your church Working. Are you working? Brethren, find something to do. And I'd probably preach it to the choir. I'm sure you are. But it does concern me. It's not just here. It's in other places where you and I have been, where independent Baptist pastors are not open. In states where they could be open. I know thy works. Well, there's something else that Jesus knew. Verse number nine, he says, and tribulation. So he knew their works. He knew their tribulation. What do you know? He knew their trouble. He knew their affliction. He knew their oppression. In other words, brethren, a working church is going to run into some trouble in their city. They aren't going to make progress for Christ without causing friction of some sort, some sort, some sort. Now, look, there's no merit in making trouble on purpose. There is no merit to being a thorn in the side of your city fathers or the city religious leaders on purpose. But if our churches are going to stay busy working for Jesus, somebody is not going to like it. And especially now, a working church is going to catch the wrath of some in their city. We restarted our bus ministry sometime in the month of June. I forget what Sunday. Sometime after that, we had VBS. It, it wasn't a normal VBS. It was, we didn't recruit a bunch of new kids. We, we had a few come in that heard about it, and the parents wanted to bring them. And I think we had, it was, this, it was far less than normal, but we had like 14 kids saved at the VBS in those three days. It was worth it. We haven't had one complaint about the buses running. Or Vacation Bible School, not one. Not one. 
Not one. Now, somehow our ladies' soul winning groups have incurred the wrath of the people in our town. I don't know how it is. They, they don't act like KGB, you know, hit men or hit women. I, but they, they, I mean, every time they went out, we had trouble. The police stopped three different ladies' groups. My wife was one of those, in one of those groups of two that they stopped. The first group that they stopped, they, my opinion, they overreached. And I'm pro-police. I could tell you a story about that. Don't have time. I'm pro-police. We did a great big thing for our local police department. 27 officers on the, uh, on the staff. We gave them a appreciation gift baskets. Those baskets were worth $222 each. I bought them a, a, a speed loader. A good speed loader. Bought them a nice pocket knife. I say, oh, the, the church did. And by the way, the church gave over $4,000. We had people who were not members of our church heard about it and sent money. We're pro-police. But they overreached. In this case, they overreached. And they told the women that they had to give them their names and you got to give us your identification. They took their driver's licenses. They took pictures of the, of the car and all that. And, you know, and, and, and I called the police chief. It was, it was the town next door to us. It was Bradley. And I said, sir, I'm pro-police. I believe in y'all. I'm for y'all. I t- he knew what we did to Bourbon. Hey, they're right next door. I said, there's not a church in town that's more pro-law enforcement, pro-law law and order than Faith Baptist Church, but your officer overreached. He apologized. He said, I'm sorry. He said, tell your ladies I'm sorry. And he said, by the way, you know they don't have to give them any information. But these ladies are taught to be submissive. They're not taught to be rebellious. So they're going to look a man with a badge in the face and tell him no. But it may come to that. You're right about the pushback. We better start pushing back some. I have written right here in these notes before. I didn't know what he was going to say. No ball games. None. None. No hockey, no baseball, no football, no basketball. That's been for years. The National Convict Association. It's time to push back, brethren. It's time to push back. We have a lady in our church, been there since before I got there. They were probably in the church, her and her husband, as teenagers back in 1971 and 72. They got married and have stayed in the church all these years. She worked as our secretary for, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years. Uh, some April, May, I forget when it was, she came down with a horrible infection and had to go to the hospital, couldn't walk. They had her in the hospital there in town for five weeks, treating her for what they thought was Guillain-Barr disease, couldn't walk. And they figured that that's not it. And while she was at Riverside Hospital there in Kankakee, she could have one visitor at a time and so her husband would go, I would go, one of the staff guys would go, some of the ladies would go. And they transferred her to Loyola. 
Loyola's policies, no visitors. None. She's there four weeks. Hadn't seen her husband. Hadn't seen her pastor. So last Thursday on the way home from Providence, I drove to Loyola. I parked, I passed the screening test. I got right about right to go in. No, you can't go in. You're not allowed. I fussed with them a little bit. No, you're not allowed. No visitors. So in the car on the way back home, I called Loyola Hospital. I said, I need to talk to the person in the spiritual care department. And I'm not, it was a woman. And I didn't, had, had no intention of being ugly or, or, or harsh, but she was snarky. We're just trying to do what's best for our patients. So I said, no, you're not. You're a Catholic hospital. And I used to, you would deny a priest the opportunity to visit his parishioner? Never used those terms in my life. There's a spiritual side. You're t- this is not a COVID patient. And I am talking at the same decibel level that I'm talking to you now into that phone. And we just believe in medical science. And I said, medical science proof. You don't have any medical science with this. There's a bunch of people that don't believe anything about it. What are you talking about? Well, I don't make the policy. I said, well, be a voice for me. I'm not going to be a voice for you. I don't agree with you. And I don't agree with you. So that didn't go anywhere. So I called back a second time and got her nurse. I asked for her personal nurse. She was Filipino. I pulled the same Catholic thing on her. I'm a Catholic, sir. I'm a Catholic. I said, well, get us in. Who, who was? I said, get her husband in. She hadn't seen her husband in four weeks. You telling me that's helping that patient? Talk about, I'm so mad right now, throwing a stapler. I, That's about 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We were sitting down for supper, 6.30. The phone rang. It was her husband. He said, preacher, he said, I just got a phone call from Loyola. He said, you and I have permission to go see my wife tomorrow for 30 minutes. I didn't go in. I didn't go in. I said, Delbert, go visit your wife. But I could see around the corner. Her eyes. And when I did go in, I prayed for they were they were talking about taking they were talking about taking a kidney and hadn't even hadn't let her husband see her. Well, you know, that's just the way it is. I like what you Where is the fire? In your belly. You're going to take this stuff lying down. I had prayer for her when I said amen. She had her, both of her hands on her husband's arm and her head on there. Just Brethren, if your desire is not to make any waves... Not to ever rock the boat in your town. 
when it comes to the works of your town, the outreach, the buses, the soul winning, whatever, would you please reread the book of Acts? Everywhere Paul and his companions went, there was either a riot or revival, sometimes both, often riot, people following them around, screaming and causing a scene. Do we really believe that, that, that trouble begins, began with us and our ministries and our cities? These notes were typed up before anybody preached last night and talking about J. Frank. And the Tarrant County Retail Liquor Association president had a meeting with those boys and vowed at that meeting that they would run J. Frank Norris out of town or he would be dead. Vowed it. He got in his car packed full of liquor to make a delivery after that meeting and he tried to beat a train at a crossing and his car got smashed. And there was broken bottles and car parts and body. And one of the people that was working the scene of the accident found a half-busted bottle of liquor that had a piece of the man's brain lobe in it. And he took it to J. Frank. And he took it to the pulpit. Set it on the pulpit and preached on thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. I'm telling you something that bothers me, like it or lump it, but it seems like conventional wisdom of late for independent Baptists is to be best friends with the mayor and best friends with the other silly leaders. And here's my picture and all this stuff. I don't recall reading Paul mentioning those folks too often. What I read is that Paul knew the jailers better than he knew the mayors. What's wrong with us? Jay Frank found out that one of the bankers in town, the president of the biggest bank in town, one of the biggest banks in town, was buying pantyhose for another man's wife. He put it in the paper. Come find out who in town runs a bank that's buying pantyhose for another man's wife. What has Happened. Look, I'm not, I'm not going to fool you. I, 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 I listened to him and him and other Denny Coral talk about growing up fighting. I, I got maybe in two fights my whole life. <laughs> and one was at the boys' home. <laughs> I didn't brawl. But there is something burning in here. Jesus knew their works. He knew their tribulation. But Jesus continues, verse number nine, he also knew the state of their finances. And he says something that almost seems contradictory. And poverty. Parentheses. But thou art rich. Hey church. You're in poverty. But you are really rich. 
It's not a contradiction, brethren, if we believe that there are true riches far more valuable than money itself. And I am reminded that the churches in Macedonia were in deep poverty when they gave to those poor saints in Jerusalem. But while their bank account was shallow, they were rich in the grace of God. They were rich in the work of God. They were rich in their love for God. Oh, for our churches to be rich in the true riches. What a contrast those churches in Macedonia were compared to the Laodicean church, huh? Jesus said, I know what you say. I'm rich. Increased with goods and have need of nothing. Thou art wretched. Miserable. Poor, blind, naked. Brethren, I'm going to tell you something. We talked this morning about being debt free. You taught on that. I spoke a little bit, you know, and and I I believe that. But boy, I'm telling you, if we're not, you get debt free and you start seeing the money pile up, well, you get a little. Has nothing to do with the power of God. I know your works, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, but you're really rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So Jesus knew the imitators and the deceivers of the day. There were some passing as Jews who were really not Jews, but were of the synagogue of Satan. I don't, I can't speak freely about what all that's involved there. Maybe some of you men know But be mindful, brethren, that Satan hates the work of our church. He just talked about sifting not only of our citizens, but our church's saints. He'll try to place people in churches to be ears and eyes for comments and statements that they will use against us. You got all kind of idiots out there now passing as worshipers of Jesus who are using the most vile, filthy language and connecting the name of Jesus with it. I'm going to tell you something that does not fly. So Jesus tells them in verse number nine what he knows about them. And then you come to verse number 10. And Jesus transitions from what he knows about the church to what the church should know about the future. And Jesus tells this church, you are going to suffer. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. It's well known, documented, that in this great city with its beautiful and decorated buildings and temples, there were Christians who were experiencing great poverty. Are you listening? They had to stand against a government in Rome that hated them. At the same time, they had to stand against the cults and the false preaching of the day. Christians were hated. Christians were outlawed. And Christians were persecuted. Yep. 
Those magnificent buildings. Christians didn't meet in any of those. Their meeting places were caves. Catacombs. Hidden places with sentries posted as lookouts. I wonder how many of our people would come to a service. Despised by the government. They were condemned as enemies of the empire. Brethren, for me personally, I don't know what you're, what you're doing. I'm striving to navigate between two great needs when it comes to preaching to our church. One need is that of encouraging and motivating God's people to just be what we ought to be and do what we ought to do and keep us encouraged. And the other need is to pre- prepare them for what is eventually coming to our churches and people. And Preacher Gomez, you know, you said about America, not in prophecy. Jesus said, a nation divided against itself shall not stand. Are we divided? <laughs> Some have said we should not be negative and heavy. Rather, let's be lighthearted and uplifting. Well, I guess Jesus did not get that memo when he wrote to this church. And it was recorded and preserved. For churches down through time to read and learn from, you're going to suffer. Get ready for it. Some of you are going to prison. Some of you are going to die. I have no crystal ball. I wouldn't use one if I had one. I don't know God's timetable. I don't pretend to know anything about dates and times and all that stuff of the Lord's return. But I know this. There has been an unleashing of the spirit of Antichrist. You took the words. What China did was evil. Evil. They wrecked economies. How many elderly people have died alone? Evil. This is evil. Criminal. Evil. I don't have to belabor all the details. He just gave them to us. He didn't give them all. You know I've heard more than one preacher say that they believe there's still a remnant and God will use that remnant that this isn't the end of the freedom of worship. And you know what? I hope they're right. 
And Brother Donald was right on target last night. We should keep working to slay giants. It was perfect start to this meeting. But Jesus, that's why I didn't want to preach this. I got little grand. I got little grandkids sitting in this room. Jesus told this church to prepare for suffering. Folks, when socialism and communism takes over a government, Christians get persecuted. It happened under Stalin in Russia. Mao Zedong in China. Pol Pot in Cambodia. Castro in Cuba. And Eastern, Eastern European countries who were led by Russian puppets after World War II. But it happened before that time period during the Reformation. Bible believers were burned at the stake, attacked by wild beasts, torn apart by chariots. But it happened before the Reformation. Horrible persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire took place between 60 AD when Nero ruled to 100 to 300 AD when Diocletian ruled and he told him he said he said right here in, in, in verse number uh, uh, 10 you had tribulation 10 days brother Harrison teaching that in his history of mission there's 10 10 documented tribulations during this time period Polycarp who they say was one of the leaders at the church of Smyrna was burned at the stake in 155 AD but it happened before that. You said it to the disciples who walked with Christ during his earthly ministry, Peter, James, John, the rest of them. But it happened before that. Because they beat and spit and pulled the beard of our Savior out of his face. If they hated if they hate you, they hated me before they hated you. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? To this church, Jesus said, brethren, and he addressed the angel of the church. Yeah. Many people believe that was the pastor. The messenger. So he told the pastor. Be thou. Faithful. Unto death. Am I ready to die for Christ? I don't know. I'm not talking next year. Are you? Am I ready to suffer loss as so many others have done? Are the people I love and preach to ready to stand when the heat's turned up? 
Preachers, people, be thou faithful unto death. The lady just stood here and sang about, I want to be more faithful. If it's not us, it'll be those after us. And if it's not them, then it's those after them. One preacher told me today, he said, I really believe in the next 10 years it's going to be chaos. Sometimes. Somebody better start preparing God's people to be faithful unto death. Some will say, well, I I don't want to suffer. Can I remind us, folks, that the disciples in Acts chapter 5, after they were beaten, departed, he picked us. He picked me. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's not normal. You know what that is? Brethren, that's the grace of God. It frightens you say, well, it frightens me to think of dying or being persecuted. Well, it doesn't exactly excite me, really. But I read of the martyrs going to the stake singing and blessing the name of God while the flames caused their flesh to... If I burn my thumb on the grill, I'm screaming, ah! I read where those that were killing them got so tired of hearing them praise God, they cut their tongues out. Before they put them at the stake because they didn't want to hear them. Praising God. How's that happen? It's called grace, brethren. My grace is sufficient for thee. Brother Cummins' name came up last night. Brother Donald, I don't. Were you here the year he preached here? You remember that preacher? Brother Cummins? He took his knife out. He's talking about Paul. Probably it was this very same thing. Is there, is there sound in this thing, Joel? And he stood up here in his pulpit and he. And Paul in that jail hollered out to the jailer Hey, jailer. What is that noise? Oh, you, you don't want to know what that is, Paul. Tell me. That's the executioner. He's sharpening his axe. Oh, man, let me get my pen. Timothy. I am now ready. To be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. 
But don't worry, son. There's laid up. <laughs> when we're going to learn, brethren, that's where it is. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Be thou faithful unto death. I wouldn't worry or be anxious about the details of persecution. You know what I think I need to be consumed with is, Lord, help me be faithful unto death. My latest son is sinking fast. My race is nearly run. My tr strongest trials now are past. My triumph has begun. I've almost gained my heavenly home. My spirit loudly sings. The holy ones, behold, they come. I hear the sound of wings. Oh, come. Angel band, come and around me stand. Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings to my immortal home. You say, oh, that's ridiculous. And it came to pass that the beggar died. I was carried by the angels. Into Abraham's bosom. Oh, bear me away. On your snowy wings. To my mortal home. I'm done with the conclusion. Verse 11. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the... What's the next word? Is that singular or plural? So he wasn't just writing Smyrna? Who's he writing to? Heritage Baptist Church? Center Baptist Church? Valley Baptist Church? Community Baptist Church? Valley Baptist Church? Pleasantville Baptist Church? First Baptist Church? Peace Tree Road Baptist Church. Faith Baptist Church. Well, I don't take that literally, you know. Yes. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. First John 5, I think, makes it clear. Overcomers are the ones who have placed their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for their full and perfect and complete salvation. No wonder Jesus introduced himself at the beginning of this letter as the one who was dead and is alive. The one with power over death and the grave. He wanted this church to know you may die once, but you will not die twice. Don't die twice. I 
I know somebody could take this and say, well, boy, Brother Angel put us all in doom and gloom. And... But it was so clear in my heart, preacher, I could not. It's been on my heart. It's been burdened in me for days. We're not blue at the church. We, we, you know, I ran across this little song. God is still good when the waves crash high. God is still good all through the night. When I've done all I can, I don't understand. God is still good. On my phone, I've got a little video. came to me today. Luke and Jess are living with us right now as they're trying to close on a house. A six-year-old and a four-year-old. And the text was a video. And it just said this was after they went to bed. They sleep on a bunk bed in the basement. Carson on top bunk, Brady on the bottom. And the little voices. God is still good when the waves crash high. And Brady, God is still good. I've done all I can. And Carson, no, no, Brady. It's when I don't, when I've done all I can, I don't understand. God is still good. There's six and four. And I'm glad they're getting it. I'm glad they're getting it. But I just believe as long as I'm preaching in that pulpit, I've got a responsibility. To come on the other side of that thing and say, be thou faithful. Unto death. Unto death. So let's stand tonight. That's going to be it.